0: Welcome to Forecast, the Foreshadow podcast, seeking glimpses of heaven on earth through conversations about people's lives and work. Foreshadow is a spirituality literary magazine rooted in the Christian faith. I'm Josh, the editor of Foreshadow. We continue our theme, Called Forth, Vocation and Faith, asking who we are called to become and what we are called to do. Today... I finish a five-part series of episodes looking at the book Thomas Merton on the Vocation of Writing, edited by Robert Inchousti. I'll be looking at the final chapter, Advice to Writers, highlighting the passages that resonate most with me and putting them in dialogue with other text writers and ideas. The episode will also include a poem written and narrated by Foreshadow contributor Matthew J. Andrews, so you won't only be hearing my voice, thankfully. If you are a writer or an artist, and if you're exploring the vocation of writing, I hope that this episode and other forecasts inspire and support your understanding and practice of your writing. Be sure to check out the section of our website called Forethought, where we provide other resources and links for people who create. So let's jump into the chapter. The first passage in the chapter comes from the inner experience, which Merton wrote in 1959. And it seems that he's describing contemplation more than writing specifically. But this passage has a lot to do with writing and he describes the importance of integration. He says, The worst thing that can happen to a man who is already divided up into a dozen different compartments is to seal off yet another compartment and tell him that this one is more important than all the others and that he must henceforth exercise a special care in keeping it separate from them. The first thing you have to do before you even start thinking about such a thing as contemplation is to try to recover your basic natural unity, to reintegrate your compartmentalized being into a coordinated and simple whole and learn to live as a unified human person. Although Merton is describing contemplation here and not writing, I appreciate that um, the editor of this book, Robert and places this excerpt or this uh, passage at the beginning of this chapter on advice to writers, because it suggests that even for the act of writing, um, more foundational and important for the writer than the act of writing is their identity as a unified human person, that before they are writers, they are humans. They are people made in God's image. They are uh, unique um, beings, um, and this echoes a lot of the previous episodes that we've had on Forecast. the the most pre The most recent um, Thomas Merton episode was one in which um, I discussed how the writer needs to write out of a foundational understanding and awareness of God's love for them, just as. Anyone needs that foundational understanding. This reminds me of something that uh, the author Madeline Lengel writes about in her book *Walking on Water: Reflections on Faith and Art*, in which she describes that for her, art is a way that uh, art and writing is a way that she is able to reintegrate herself and become more fully whole and fu- full, fully holy and fully alive. And she understands that this is the calling for all of us in Christ to be um, fully alive people in him, um, reflecting the glory of God in all its fullness. And, um, and so, so that's another aspect to this, that um, writing can be a way that can help us to reintegrate ourselves that can connect various pieces of our lives that might seem separate at first um, but through the act of writing we can see how they connect not only writing but reading the writing of other people or listening to works of music composed by other artists or looking at a painting many other things that we can do also participate in this act of making us more whole, of reintegrating us. For Lengel, the creative process restores that childhood, um, uh, childlike spirit that um, is open to new possibilities. As she writes, In art, we are ag- once again able to do all the things we have forgotten. We are able to walk on water, We speak to the angels who call us. We move unfettered among the stars. We write, we make music, we draw pictures because we are listening for meaning, feeling for healing. And during the writing of the story or the painting or the composing or singing or playing, we are returned to that open creativity which was ours when we were children. We cannot be mature artists if we have lost the ability to believe which we had as children. An artist at work is in a comp- condition of complete and total faith. When Lengel writes that we uh, write and make music, um, all of that f- for meaning and for healing, um, that's in response to something she has written earlier in that this chapter, where she describes how the powers of this world um, um, sap out all of the meaning um and value that we place. Um, she says, for many people in the world today, life has lost its meaning. One reason why every other hospital bed is for someone with a mental, not a physical illness. And so part of the, um, the work of the storyteller is to restore that sense of meaning. Um, and going back to what Merton has written, to, to reintegrate us. Uh, and to reintegrate, help people to um, find a sense of unity within themselves. Lengel writes later on, Along with reawakening the sense of newness, Bach's music points me to wholeness, a wholeness of body, mind, and spirit, which we seldom glimpse, but which we are intended to know. It is no coincidence that the root word of whole, health, heal, holy, is hail as in hale and hearty. If we are healed, we become whole. We are hale and hearty. We are holy. And so I think, summarizing this, I think that Langel um, gives the bigger picture um, to this passage from Merton, at least for me. Um, when Merton says that the first thing we must do is to try to reintegrate our comp- compartmentalized being um, into a unified human person, that that's the first task we must do in the contemplative life, perhaps even in the life of um, seeking to write or or any other vocation. Um, and this is um, central to to any of us. And uh, one of the ways that we can do that, according to L'Engle, is through storytelling and through reading and hearing and participating in stories that others have created. This also reminds me of the most recent episode of Forecast before this one, in which Will speaks with Ryan Fasani, who is a church pastor. And I re- one of the things I really appreciated about that episode was Ryan's discussion of his, um, his deep search within himself and facing um, the shadows of himself. And uh, in doing that, coming out with a clearer sense of his calling. And um, I would have loved to hear even more about his experience doing that. But I think that also is a, an important... Um element of reintegration and becoming whole and holy is um, facing that knowledge of ourselves, that in um, this journey towards God, um, in this journey of even trying to write to our best ability, we come face to face with um, with with ourselves, and that can be a challenging thing. But it is only through sitting with the discomfort, as Ryan Fassani says, um, sitting with that challenge, that we can emerge with a, a deeper sense of who we are and a deeper integration within ourselves. This next passage comes from a letter to Jacques Maritain in 1963. And Merton writes, Do not push too hard with the work. God will take care of everything and will give you strength to do all that needs to be done. The rest is in his hands. Realize yourself to be entirely in his love and his care and worry about nothing. In these days, you should be carried by him toward your destination and do what you do more as play than as work, which does not mean that it is not serious. For the most serious thing in the life of a Christian is play. The seriousness of Christian play is the only genuine seriousness. I think that's a really interesting quote. It doesn't seem, again, to be um, directly related to writing, or if it is, we're not made aware of that in this excerpt. But it can still apply to writing because speaking from personal experience, I know that writing is a great delight for me. And I enjoy writing. And even when I'm not writing, thinking about the world that I'm creating and um, anticipating or imagining what might happen next. And I think this echoes the the delight that God had um, in, that we see in Genesis when God created the world. And and looked at it and saw that it was good, it, it was very good. And and so this delight of creation um, perhaps puts us in touch with um, some of the most foundational experiences there can be of, of creating. And uh, this passage also reminds me of the joy of the resurrection of Christ, that... Um, when Merton writes, the seriousness of Christian play is the only genuine seriousness. It's as if, um, at least what I hear, is that um, Merton is suggesting that all of the things that we are often so stressed out about and concerned about um, are really in the big picture when we think about the victory Jesus has won on the cross, when we think about the life that he brings us, through his uh, resurrection, those things pale in, in so much comparison that when we see things from that perspective, um, what else can we do but respond to those challenges with a, a deep joy? Because ultimately Christ has overcome evil and and overcome um the, the greatest challenge that we can face. When I was in graduate school studying writing as a form of ministry, uh, one of my professors um, who taught narrative theology was asking us what we thought the purpose of storytelling was. And um, we were all brainstorming ideas. And, and what it boiled down to at the end of the conversation, the professor said was, um, the purpose is to tell the truth and to delight um, our listeners and our readers. And I could be on board with telling the truth, but I wasn't so convinced about the purpose being to delight. For some reason, I was a bit suspicious of, of having fun, and um, having fun as part of ministry, um, as part of writing as a form of ministry. To me, it seemed that that was perhaps a waste of time. That one needed to focus more on the telling the truth part. I won't go into all of the details of why I thought that, but I'll just say that in the years since then, I've um, slowly uh, begun to um, to embrace delight and um, and to embrace how good it is to to delight in something um how inherently good that is now of course um like anything it can be taken to the extreme um and um if uh, the only purpose for writing a story is to um see how we can make people laugh perhaps um as good as laughter is perhaps there's something missing there um but certainly in, um, in writing a story, um, the, the, the very form itself of, of, a, of a good story um, uh, has this expectation that, that the listener, the reader, will um, enjoy I- the experience of it. And I think that's because uh, we, uh, a story is a reflection of life, and... Um, a, a good story is a, is a reflection of this world that God has created and this life that we live. And although there is pain and suffering in this life, we also uh, find joy and um, delight in it. And we enjoy um, uh, joy. And, and God has created us that way. And when and we can see Jesus turning water into wine, and um, and and in so doing, bringing joy to the people that were there um, at the wedding in Cana. Again, I think um, delighting our listeners or our readers can be a reflection of the resurrection and the joy that comes through um, the life that Christ brings us. I was recently listening to someone reading the ending of the book Second Maccabees, which is in the Apocrypha, and I haven't read the whole book. Uh, just um, r- most recently, I've just, e- just listened to the ending, but it really jumped out at me, and I'll just read it to you. The author writes, so here i will end my story or so i will here end my story if it is well told and to the point that is what i myself desired if it is poorly done and mediocre that was the best i could do for just as it is harmful to drink wine alone or again to drink water alone while wine already mixed with water is delicious and enhances one's enjoyment so also the style of the story delights the ears of those who read the work. And here will be the end. I really enjoy hearing that because um, we can hear the author self-reflecting on their own writing, saying that he really hopes that um, the story is not just to the point, but it's also well told, that It delights the ears of those who read it and enhances their enjoyment. And I also just can't help but think that other writers of the books of the Bible um, had a similar desire, not only to tell the, the truth, but also to delight the listener at times in telling it. I think some passages of the Bible lend itself themselves to this more than others. The chronologies and Chronicles perhaps um, was not intended to delight the listener as much as to inform them. Um, but a lot of the stories, like Abraham and Sarah um, not believing the news that they will bear a child in their old age, or um, the the story of Jonah being swallowed by a great fish and being... Um, barfed up onto the sea, uh, onto the shore, out of the sea. Or even in the Book of Acts, the the adventure that Paul has um, at sea when his ship is uh, wrecked. I I'm pretty sure the authors um, would have uh, would have understood that the the listeners would have enjoyed hearing these stories, as um, not to say that that invalidates the truth um, of them uh, or, or um, whether historical truth or um, a deeper truth of a, of, a, of a message that like an allegorical message that comes through that story but in addition to conveying that truth we as readers um, find delight in hearing these stories as well and I think that's part of what connects us with them. Um, on a deeper level is through that experience of enjoying, listening to and reading the stories. I sometimes find it difficult to read a novel or to read fiction, because I feel a little guilty um, with the the feeling of enjoyment, or at least I have um, for much of my life, felt a little guilty like thinking, maybe I should be doing something else with my time because this is just so much fun to just be uh, getting lost in this book. Um, But I I think this goes back to what Merton was saying also about the importance of reintegration. I think that part of the reason why delight is good for us is because it helps us to heal, to become more whole and holy. We might think of it in terms of the Sabbath, um, how how God commands us to rest, um, uh, to to have this rhythm of rest, um, specifically the Sabbath being one day in the week where we do not work, but um, we allow ourselves to to rejuvenate, and to we can we we have time for recreation, for relaxation, and that's a necessary part of our healing and um, recovering from the stresses and strains of the week. And I believe that um, for me, delighting in a good story um, has a similar effect as the Sabbath. It enables me to rest, um, to, to think um, more slowly, to make um, deeper connections that I can't or that I can't make when I'm so focused on um, tasks I need to accomplish and uh, more practical things, which are important and, and necessary but are not the 100%, um, are not the full picture of our life. The next passage I'd like to read is from a letter to Lorraine in 1964. And Merton responds to Lorraine's question about how a Catholic writer can have the greatest possible influence on his public. Then Merton writes, The writer who has influence on the people who really need to read him must have something important to say, and something that is important now, or perhaps tomorrow, later than now. And he must want to say it to the men of his time, perhaps even to others later. But it must be a bit desperate if it is going to get out at all. And if it is desperate, it will be opposed. Hence, no writer who has anything important to say can avoid being opposed and criticized. Thus, the writer who wants to, let us say, reach or help rather than influence people, must suffer for the truth of his witness and for love of the people he is reaching. Otherwise, his communion with them is shallow and without life. The real writer lives in deep communion with his readers because they share in common sufferings and desires and needs that are urgent. So whereas in the previous passage I read, um, I was focusing on delight... This passage focuses on the other purpose of writing stories or other pieces, which is to tell the truth. In Merton's words, it's to have something important to say, something that um, is a a message that needs to be heard um, to help and reach people. And a message that, like the gospel, um, will be opposed by people. And here I get the feeling, although I don't know for sure, that Merton is describing more nonfiction than fiction. Um, And I say that just because, um, partly because I've been reading uh, Flannery O'Connor's writing on fiction, and for her it's clear that um, the fiction writer, the good fiction writer, um, doesn't use their... Tool of the fiction story to um, to proselytize or to preach a certain message, as much as to tell a story that has integrity within itself, and naturally, the values, the the worldview of the writer will come through in the story, but um, but if the author of the fiction story sets about writing a story just to um, to sell an idea, um, then they are not being faithful to the craft of writing a good story, because um, a good story is about the, the character uh, the, and the characters, how they interact, um, and, uh, and the actual physical, concrete, tangible um, ev- events and objects within that world of the story, and not so much about um, trying to, um, steer those things to serve an idea. Um, I mean, that can, that can happen, but, um, but before an idea, um, can be, can be preached in a fiction story, the concrete elements need to be, um, believable and to have integrity within themselves. So a fiction story is not the same thing as, um, in a personal essay that's arguing, or, or, or an opinion editorial piece that's arguing a certain point, which seems to be what I think Merton is describing here when he talks about the need um, for a, a writer to, um, to have something important to say. But on, on that topic that Merton is describing of getting that important message out, he seems to be saying that the author must be um, must be willing to and must suffer for their witness and for the love of the people he's writing to, and so ultimately, there needs to be, he says, a communion between the writer and their readers. What I think of is when I w- served on a pastoral team of a church a few years ago, and. Um, um one of my r- responsibilities was to to speak on a Sunday morning um, to give a sermon every once every few months um, sometimes more frequently than that and um, at first it was challenging because uh, I didn't know the people listening and they didn't know me and I remember having a conversation with someone who who told me that um, that until... Um, until I had um, built trust with them, uh, until I had built a relationship with them, um, my my sermons wouldn't mean so much to them and over the the years that the few years that I was there, um, the more I got to know people, the more relationships I built, the more I was living with and working with alongside people, um, the more I felt that my um, my talks on Sunday morning um, spoke to them, connected with them, because that trust was built. I think it's different for a writer, of course, because um, most of the readers of a writer don't know the person personally. And so that's why I think Merton is saying that in order to have that trust, that communion with their readers, the writer... Um, needs to share common sufferings and desires and needs with them. And it's in that, um, the mutual possession of those sufferings, um, of those pains, that the reader can connect with the writer. Merton says this in other words later in the chapter in a letter to someone else called John O'Keefe. And he writes write rather what is deepest in your own heart and what you know as a writer has an instinct by which to know this is also deep in theirs in other words write to elucidate problems that are common and urgent so to connect to ha- with the listener to the with the reader to have this communion with them this trust merton says is that The writer needs to write um, from their deepest heart and um, what they know intuitively is deep in the reader's heart. And although Merton doesn't exactly say this, um, and perhaps he means this though, perhaps it is through writing what is from the depths of our heart that we are then able to help others to to find that wholeness and reintegration that we described at the beginning, because in writing about our true experience, the reader has the opportunity to recognize that in their own life. Um, Somehow it seems that when we tell the truth about something we've experienced, people tend to resonate with that. They've experienced it too. It usually seems, and um, even if in different circumstances or settings, they've experienced the the core emotion, perhaps the core experience of that um, uh, thing that we are describing. And as they recognize that in our writing, they are then able to recognize a piece of their own life that perhaps um, they had forgotten about. Or perhaps they're able to see it in a different light by reading our writing. And that helps with the, the process of, of being more whole. That helps with the process of, as Lengel writes elsewhere in her book, of being named. Lengel writes that when we can identify with a character uh, and grow alongside them through the choices they make, we somehow um, can identify and see ourselves in them and thus become more named, uh, thus know ourselves more deeply, Um, perhaps relating back to a theme that we've discussed on this podcast in various uh, ways, perhaps getting in touch with that hidden name that God has for us, um, that name that only God knows, Um, which, which resembles our truest, deepest identity. As Lengel writes, To write a story is an act of naming. In reading about a protagonist I can grow along with, I myself am more named. And then later she writes about her children and grandchildren. All they require is a protagonist with whom they can identify, and they prefer the protagonist to be older than they are an adventure to make them turn the pages, and the making of a decision on the part of the protagonist. We name ourselves by the choices we make, and we can help in our own naming by living through the choices, right and wrong, of the heroes and heroines whose stories we read. To name is to love. To be named is to be loved. So in a very true sense, the great works which help us to be more named Also, love us and help us to love. So, going back to Merton, perhaps in reflecting our own story truthfully, the deepest um, parts of our story truthfully, we can be, that story can be something that a reader can read and through that experience um, grow alongside us. Um, grow alongside the character we create in that story and so be named themselves recognize a bit of themselves and um, and in so doing um, learn from the mistakes we've made or um, be encouraged by the successes that we, we had and ultimately um, become uh, more fully alive and more fully like Christ more fully whole and healed And before moving on from this point, um, I also want to read a passage that Lengel writes about the communion, the connection between the writer and the reader, which is, um, I think, a special uh, passage that describes this unique connection. The writer does want to be published. The painter urgently hopes that someone will see the finished canvas, Van Gogh was denied the satisfaction of having his work bought and appreciated during his lifetime. No wonder the pain was more than he could bear. The composer needs his music to be heard. Art is communication, and if there is no communication, it is as though the work had been stillborn. The reader, viewer, listener usually grossly underestimates his importance. If a reader cannot create a book along with the writer— the book will never come to life. Creative involvement. That's the basic difference between reading a book and watching TV. In watching TV, we are passive, sponges. We do nothing. In reading, we must become creators. Once the child has learned to read alone and can pick up a book without illustrations, he must become a creator, imagining the setting of the story, visualizing the characters seeing facial expressions, hearing the inflection of voices. The author and the reader know each other. They meet on the bridge of words. Next uh, is what seems to be a poem um, from The Empty Boat. And I say that because it has line breaks. So I'm not sure if it's a poem or if it's supposed to be more proverbial, but... um, this is what merchant writes. A wise man has said, he who is content with himself has done a worthless work. Achievement is the beginning of failure. Fame is the beginning of disgrace. Who can free himself from achievement and from fame, descend and be lost amid the masses of men? He will flow like tao, unseen. He will go about like life itself, with no name and no home. Simple is he, without distinction. To all appearances he is a fool. His steps leave no trace, he has no power. He achieves nothing, has no reputation. Since he judges no one, no one judges him. Such is the perfect man, his boat is empty. What I draw from this image is the the importance of the empty boat in terms of um, not seeking reputation, power, distinction, achievement, fame, um, but rather emptying those things um, so that the boat can float down the, the way, down the river of life, um, you might say. And This is relevant to me um, in many ways, and thinking about writing, um, just how um, so often writing can be about those things. Um, And not just writing, but um, so many things that I do can be about those, um, um, the status and success. Um, But when I can get to a point of contentment, um, when I can empty the boat, um, then I feel like I am more reintegrated. I am more in tune with um, with the way, which is Christ. Um, that there are fewer things dragging me down um, from, from the life that I'm called to live. And a psalm that has um, really been helping me with that is Psalm 131, Which I'd like to read. My heart is not proud, O Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Both now and forevermore. In my experience, although this kind of contentment is countercultural, it goes against a lot of the priorities that I think um, society um, can place on us. Um, When I write and when I live out of that contentment, I am in deeper connection with um, with life and with that joy of of the resurrection that I described earlier, um, with with the delight of of God's world and God's creation. That that's how I feel anyway. When um, when I am content and and putting my hope and my trust in God rather than in um, the things that that I often feel I need to strive after. And again, as um, we've brought up in a previous episode, it's not wrong to strive. We are called to strive for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, um, to strive first for those things. And... Um, and trust that God will give us everything we need um, as a result of that. And I think when I write out of a place of contentment and um, and joy and and just not so much out of a place of um, feeling pressure to publish something or um, feeling pressure to impress people. Um, but when I'm writing just out of um, a desire to write and out of the delight of that, I think that comes through in the writing. And uh, I think the the writing, I hope, is more enjoyable to the reader as well. Um, I forget who said this, but it might have been Flannery O'Connor. But if if the writer is surprised when they're writing, then the reader will be surprised as well. If the writer is... Um, enjoying themselves as the writing, the reader will probably enjoy reading it too. Um, and so I think it's similar um, to the point mentioned earlier about um, the importance of delight in writing, that we can get that delight when uh, we are writing out of a sense of um, just because we enjoy doing it, um, And out of a sense of knowing that God loves us, and maybe even if not consciously, just in the the background of our minds, I think that comes through in our writing. And I think people will enjoy reading works that are done um, in that spirit more than um, a story or uh, uh, another piece of writing that's... um, which I so often can be, um, feel the need to do that's driven um, by a, 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 an urgency that perhaps is not rooted in love. And that brings us to our last passage from a circular letter. I'm not sure what that is. Um, Christmas 1966. To the many who have written to ask me about their poetry, how to get it published, and so on, as if I knew. Some of the best poets in the country have great difficulty getting their poems published commercially in book form. Most of their stuff appears in little magazines, and a lot of it is circulated in mimeograph or other cheap processes. This is the best thing to do with your poetry, this and reading it in coffee houses, and so on. The idea that anything good has to appear between hard covers is a pure myth, and you should stop being obsessed by it. Do you want to be read, or do you want to have the imagined status of a book publication that may or may not mean being read? If you want to be read, get your stuff into the hands of those who are likely to be interested, in any form you can. You yourself have to find out who is likely to be interested in your poems. I can't tell you. It is a question of your own relationships, part of your own life. I think that ties in nicely with the previous passage on contentment, and it's a good place to end as well, Um, but for a reason that I will give in a few minutes. But first, um, what I gather from this is that... um, The purpose of writing, as Lengel has written about, um, that I I mentioned, how it's uh, to form a connection, to be a to to build a bridge between readers. Um, The reason we write is so that people will read our writing, and so the most important thing is that people read it. And so, rather than um, seeking um, to be read in by or seeking to be published in the biggest magazines, um, maybe it's better to try to target those magazines uh, that uh, have readers who, who will connect most with your piece. There, I recently, um, well, last year, I, I had an article published in Ecstasis magazine, uh, but that wasn't my first choice. I had actually um, chosen a a bigger magazine and I sent it off to them and they didn't publish it. But as I was thinking about it, um, I thought that actually Ecstasis Magazine would have the readers that I think would connect more with um, my writing than this bigger magazine. And I'm glad that Ecstasis Magazine published it because it did seem that a lot of uh, their readers connected with what I had written about. And even um, thinking about smaller magazines than Ecstasis magazine, um, could be just as meaningful, if not more meaningful, uh, getting one's work published there. If the readers would connect with the writing more there, then um, getting it published in a bigger magazine where perhaps the readers wouldn't connect so much with it. So it's uh, really about um, getting to the heart of what we're doing as writers and trying to connect it with those that um, that we're trying to reach the most or those that um, echo with our writing the most. And so the reason also I um, am mentioning this is because um, Foreshadow Magazine is one of those smaller magazines with um with, uh, with a unique group of readers, a unique um, theme of vocation and faith this year, and and a unique broader theme that we have, a, char- a characteristic that we have of um, of seeking to reorient ourselves towards God's kingdom through the arts, um, through fiction and poetry, and um, through stories. Um, as well as um, our theme of um, exploring writing as a vocation. Um, so if you are looking to publish, if you have um, works that um, resonate with that theme, do consider submitting them to us, um, because I think you'll find a, a small, relatively small group of readers, but a, a group of readers that will really connect with, with that theme. So with that, I'd like to now play a poem that was written and read by a foreshadow contributor, Matthew J. Andrews. And this poem was published about a month ago, I believe. And um, I think it's a good place to end because it leaves us with a question of what do we have to contribute? Um, What is our name What will we give back to God and to the world and to others? Um, When we think about calling, um, what is it that we are called to bring to the table? Here's the poem.
1: Contribution, Suleimania, Iraq, 2010. The Kurdish man is first. He doesn't speak a language any of us can understand. So he plays a song with a hand-carved flute, a haunting tune that soars and collapses, so expressive I do not need his words. The Canadian woman is next. She is peace-hardened, older, her body riddled with bullet holes from guns not fired. In a bouncing cadence, as a teacher might, she sings in Swahili, a song she learned around a campfire ages ago. The American man goes after He is young, fidgety with optimism, eyes fixed forward. He reads a poem, a swaying free verse piece he wrote that afternoon, about the horror he now knows, and about the light beneath it. It's my turn. All eyes are on me, but I am frozen in the flickering of their fire. What do I have to offer this soul-soaked communion? What can I contribute to this assembly, this global congress of song?
0: Well, it's been really fun going through this book, um, Echoing Silence, Thomas Merton on the Vocation of Writing, edited by Robert Inchowski. I hope you enjoyed and uh, um, could glean something from these explorations. And I'm looking forward to diving into another book on um, art and faith, and perhaps also in dialogue with, with some co-hosts uh, and some guests as well, going um, talking with them one chapter at a time uh, and, and, and mining some of the insights we might find in that book. Um, the book I th- have in mind is one I've mentioned, uh, quoted a few times in this episode and other ones, Walking on Water, Reflections on Faith and Art by Madeleine Lengel. But if you have any suggestions for other books you might want to hear, feel free to reach out um, and share any other comments or questions that we might address on this podcast by emailing foreshadowmagazine at gmail.com or leaving a comment on the, um, this post on foreshadowmagazine.com where we post um, new writings, podcasts, and various other work every week. And if you want to follow us more easily, you can sign up to our free weekly newsletter that will update you every week on Monday. If you know anyone you think would enjoy and appreciate our work, do share Foreshadow and Forecast with them, and you can find us on various social media platforms. So again, that's Echoing Silence, Thomas Merton on the vocation of writing, and today we've looked at his advice to writers. Thanks for listening. That's the forecast for today.